Good morning, everybody. My name is Marcellus. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. Um, I'm not Markel. I'm Marcellus. I know me and Markel look alike, but we're not the same person. It's my brother, um, but we're not exactly the same. Hey, it's my joy uh, to be with you guys once again. If you don't know me, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I'm um, really glad to uh, preach what God has for us in, in Acts chapter 3. And um, as we dive into this message, um, it's important to see how much Peter is pointing back to prophets of the Old Testament. And how Peter, after God had used he and John to heal this man who was lame, that's what we preached about last week from Acts chapter 3, verses one through 10. After God had used Peter and John powerfully uh, to see this man healed who couldn't walk and now he's walking and now he's in the temple worshiping. Um, After God had used Peter and John to do that, God used Peter to preach to his people in a very powerful and prophetic way. And it, it really struck me this morning as I drove here and as you all drove here too, you pass so many different churches and there's so many people that will stand up today to preach God's word. There's people all over the world um, that will gather just like you to worship Jesus. Um, There's people just like you um, who are sitting in these seats wondering um, if Jesus answers prayers and and are trying to get to know who Jesus is. And what Peter does in, in Acts chapter three is he gets up and he preaches powerfully and prophetically, and he ties God's story into these people's lives. And the way that he does this is is not only powerful, um, but it also produces pressure in Peter's life. Um, Because what he preaches is not a comfortable message. And what he says um, doesn't just make people feel good, but he tells them the truth. And that's what prophets all throughout the Bible do. That's what God uses prophets to do. A prophet is a person who speaks to God's people on behalf of God. They hear from God, they're impressed by what God says and they have an impression on their heart of what they should say and then they say it to God's people faithfully. And as you study the Old Testament and as you study the New Testament, you begin to see that God's people who speak on his behalf face an enormous amount of pressure. Their lives are put at stake. Their lives are very uncomfortable because they're speaking the truth of what God desires for them to say to people, which is not always a comfortable message. So we see Peter in Acts chapter three do this amazing thing that God did through him by healing this man. And then in the next second, he starts preaching to them in a very powerful and prophetic way that is very uncomfortable. And it reminded me of a prophet from the Old Testament. And um, I just finished reading a book called Running With the Horses. It's by an author named Eugene Peterson. You should write that name down and read everything that he's written. Um, He's one of my favorite authors, pastors. 
Um, and Eugene Peterson wrote about the prophet Jeremiah, and that's been something that has been coloring my life for the past few weeks as I've been studying Jeremiah and, and studying um, what God has been saying through Eugene Peterson about his life, so much so that I actually use Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5 as my theme verse for the Chiefs when we played against the 49ers in the Super Bowl. And this is what Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5 says. It says, if you have raced with men on foot, and they have worn you out. How can you compete with horses? He says, if you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thicket by the Jordan? And what God was saying to Jeremiah, he was saying like, hey, I'm calling you to give a message to my people like nobody else is giving. He was saying like, man, if you're gonna run with men and men wear you out, He's like, how are you gonna run with horses? And God was saying to him, I want you running with the horses. I want you doing something different. I want you doing something that's more powerful. He's saying, if, if you stumble when you're running on flat ground, how are you gonna run through the thickets, through the weeds, through the brush? One of the things that I told our players and our coaches the night before the Super Bowl um, in our chapel session, I talked to them how, about how everybody in the NFL is elite. You know, everybody's a great athlete. All the coaches, they stay up late at night watching film. A lot of them sleep in their office. And, it, and it's a small margin that actually gains you a victory in the National Football League because everybody's good. Everybody's elite. All the players, they, they, everybody's got their own massage therapist. Everybody's got their own nutritionist. Everybody's got you know, their off-season program. Everybody's got all these little things that they're doing to try to gain an edge. But the elite ones are the ones who are able to run with horses and able to, even in difficulty, run through the thicket. And that's what God was challenging Jeremiah with. In Jeremiah's time, there were many people who were preaching and speaking prophetically. There were many people who were telling God's people what to do, but Jeremiah's message was very different. And we'll see the same thing in Acts chapter three with Peter. In Jeremiah, uh, there were prophets who were telling God's people the opposite of what God wanted to say to his people. God's people were in Babylon, they were in captivity, they were experiencing God's judgment and they didn't wanna repent and submit to what God was doing during their captivity. So there were these prophets that came along that just said nice things to them like, hey, God's gonna get you out of this captivity really quickly, it's not that big a deal, we're all gonna go back home, this is gonna be great, we know how God works. But God said to Jeremiah, no, 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 tell my people that they need to submit to what I'm doing right now in captivity. They need to repent, they need to turn, they need to be in this humble state to realize exactly what I'm doing in their lives. And Jeremiah's message was very, very unpopular. One of the indictments that God had for, for his people during Jeremiah's time uh, comes in Jeremiah chapter two, verse six. And this is what God is saying about his people. He says, he says they stopped asking where is the Lord? He's, God's saying like, man, they're not curious about me anymore. They're not seeking me out. They're not hungry for me. Nobody's asking, where is God? They all think they know where I am. He goes on, he says, 
Where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, through a land of drought and darkness, a land no one traveled through and where no one lived? He says, I brought you to the fertile land to eat its fruit and bounty, but after you entered, you defiled my land. He says, the priest, this is verse eight of Jeremiah chapter two. This isn't in the notes. This is just stuff. (laughs) He says this, and don't miss this. Jeremiah chapter two, verse eight. He says, the priest quit asking, where's the Lord? The experts in the law no longer know me and the rulers rebel against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and followed useless idols. He's like, your leaders are leading you astray. Nobody's curious anymore. Nobody's hungry anymore. Everybody thinks they know where I am, but they don't know where I am. Jeremiah's persecutions, after he preached God's real word, his persecutions became so bad that he wished he had never been born. Jeremiah 20, verses 14 through 18. He was beaten. He was in prison, Jeremiah 37. He was cast into a well and left to die in the mud, Jeremiah 38. When you preach with the real power of God, your life will be pressed. It will be persecuted. And so in Acts chapter three, we see uh, uh, Peter do a few different things. Number one, he points to the power of God. Number two, He points to the story of God's people. Number three, he points people back to Jesus. Number four, he points back to the prophets of old. And number five, he points people to repentance. This is Acts chapter three, verses 11 through 26, the text that we're gonna focus on today. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. He's speaking of the the man that was healed. It said, in Jesus' name, in the faith that comes through him, that that has completely healed him as you all can see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time that comes for God to restore everything. And he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything that he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, 
All peoples on earth will be blessed. When God had raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The first thing that Peter did in his sermon was he pointed people back to the power of God. It says, while this man who was healed, while he was still holding on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them. And when Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or our own godliness, we made this man walk? See, a lot of us look at our churches and it's like, oh, it's because of my pastor's power or his godliness that this church thrives. We look at movements of what God does and sometimes we think it's because of a person's personality or their skill set or their talent or man, my business is thriving because of my power and because of my godliness. I have a devotion every day. I pray, I do all the things that my pastor tells me to do, all the things that look godly and, and if I do this formula, then I will succeed. And many times we idolize people, we prop people up, we put them on pedestals, and it honestly keeps us safe from living out the responsibility that God has for us. It's like, oh, well, professional athletes, they're in great shape. You know, they're in physical shape. You know, I'll just do what I can do. Or this person on Instagram, they look great, they look like that, and that becomes an idol. And so the more and more we look at people who are what we want to be, the less and less we hold responsible, responsibility for what God has called us to be. And what Jeremiah and what Peter and what all of us should do is hold our own responsibility for what God has called us to do instead of idolizing others. And Peter immediately saw this and did not let people do this. He immediately told them, this is not by my power. It is not by my godliness that this man was healed. It is the power of God. There's a humble submission that Peter has to the power of God and that he points people to because he's being honest with them because he wants to point them to what is real. Like he doesn't wanna just give them a carefully crafted sermon. He doesn't wanna just give them um, um, theatrics. He wants to give them something of substance that is real, something that they can literally take home with them that will change their lives. But there's too many prophets, there's too many preachers that will point back to their own power, their own church, their own way of doing things, their own donation link, instead of pointing to the power of God. The second thing that Peter pointed to was he pointed to the story of God's people. He wanted them wrapped up in what God has been doing from the very beginning. In verses 13 and 14, he says this. He says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He says, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. He's reminding them of the fact that God's people all throughout history have had times when they're unfaithful to God, when they're on the wrong side of history, when they think that they're doing the right thing spiritually, but they're actually doing the wrong thing. Like if you think about Jesus's life and you think about Jesus's death and the way that he died, you had very religious, spiritual people who sided and used Rome as their weapon to kill Jesus. They missed what God was doing, so they sided with political power to do their dirty work. 
And Peter reminds them of this. He, he says, you handed him over. He doesn't let the responsibility lie with, with Pontius Pilate or with Rome. He says, you did this. You handed him over. And it's so easy for us to forget the stories of God's people in the past where people have broken God's heart by siding with power, by siding with political parties, by siding with their money, by siding with their family, instead of being holy and focused and pledging allegiance to the kingdom of God and what God says. It's so easy to give our allegiance to other things instead of God but he points them back so that they can see what it looks like to be in the wrong. He holds up a mirror for them to see by pointing them back to the story that God was living out through his people. The third thing that he does is he points people back to Jesus. He wants them to see Jesus. He doesn't want them to see his power, his godliness. Peter wants people to see Jesus. He goes on in verses 15 and 16 to say this. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. One of, the, one of the cool things that Peter does, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute, is he points back to prophets, he points back to God's people, but there's a distinct way that he talks about Jesus. He doesn't speak of Jesus as merely a prophet. He speaks of Jesus as the creator and the author of life. Because Jesus isn't just another prophet. Jesus isn't just another person pointing back to God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the author of life, the one who communed with God the Father for all of eternity. Jesus isn't merely a prophet. He's a prophet. He's a priest who brings us into the presence of God. He's a king who sits on the throne in all authority. He, that's why it, it's so captivating. I mean, literally, I was sitting here in my seat contemplating like, man, I feel like I shouldn't even get up and preach today. I feel like this room full of people just needs to just keep singing to Jesus for however much time we have here. I'm, I'm not even kidding right now. Like he, he is the king. He deserves all praise. He hears every prayer that you pray. He, he's willing to listen to you. He's the only person in, in the world that has power to do something about the prayers that you pray. He is the author of life. He is life. And he gave his life for us. I like, I, and, and even as I was going through the sermon, I'm like, I, I'm like, you, you can't preach in the middle of the sermon. Like you save that for the end. And I'm like, I don't want to put this like in the middle. Cause, cause then like my heart is, you just want to go off and just like, just talk about Jesus and sit down. But really, that's what this is all about. He's, he's saying that this is the author of life. This is the king. This is the Messiah. This is the one that we have been waiting on. This is the one that you can bank your whole life on. Jesus over everything. He points people back to Jesus. The next thing that, that Peter does in this sermon that's so good is he points people back to the prophets. And the reason why he does this is because he, he needs to make the link with these people of not only the story of God's people, but how God's people react or don't react 
to God's prophets and the people that God is trying to use to speak to their hearts and what happens to these prophets. Listen to what it says in verse 17. He says, now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders. Speaking of of Jesus's death, he says, heaven must receive him until the time that comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So he's, he's saying that God has been speaking of this for a long time. God's been promising a Messiah. God has been promising salvation to his people. And there's been so many iterations of God's people not listening. Like I read from Jeremiah, people who is like, we're not looking for God. We're not asking where he is. We know where he is. You know, I have a five minute quiet time. I go to church. I turn on Christian radio on my way to work. I know where God is. But what Jeremiah is talking about, what Peter's talking about is like, man, there's something, there's a posture in our hearts that is much deeper that we have to see and that we have to hear from people that are trying to speak to us on behalf of God. There's a posture of hunger, of curiosity, of, of, of being uncomfortable that he's trying to get at. He says, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Verse 24, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. Now, Peter, as he's speaking to these people, like he's already blamed Jesus's death on them. And in the same breath and in the same sermon, he's reminding them that they are heirs of what the prophets were talking about, that they are heirs of the kingdom of God, that they actually have promises and covenants with God. So what a good prophet will do is he will warn people of impending doom, impending judgment, but he will also speak honestly about the salvation that is also available, about the promise and the reason why God created us and give an opportunity for people to know God and to know actually what they were created for. And that's what he does. He says that you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. All is not lost. You know, some prophets, you know, you can get on YouTube and just look up prophets and and people use fear, they'll use doomsday to gain a following. But really like, no matter what you believe about end times, no matter what you believe about this world, people are talking about World War III, everything that could happen. Go to the back page of the Bible and we win. You're going to be cool. <laughs> it's all good. Believe in Jesus is all good. You know, you get around pastors and, and they talk about post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial. And I'm like, I'm a pan-millennial. It's all going to pan out. Okay. It's all... The last thing that Peter does in this sermon is he points people to Repentance. Like he gives them an opportunity to turn away from the way that they're living and turn towards God. Like that's the whole reason all this happened. Like this man is laying in front of the temple. He asked for money and they turn to him and they heal him in the name of Jesus. And then what Peter does is he starts pointing 
to the story of God. He starts pointing to the prophets. He starts pointing to Jesus and he gives the opportunity for repentance, for people to realize like what they've done and to turn towards God. And that's our opportunity today. Like I I was listening this week to um, one of my favorite podcasts, Club Shay Shay. The Shannon Sharps podcast. It's like a sports kind of entertainment uh, podcast. It's not family friendly. Don't let your kids listen to it. But on this, uh, on this podcast this week, as I was listening to it, um, Shannon Sharp had a guest and his name is Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel uh, was a great college quarterback and played in the NFL as well. Uh, people used to call him Johnny Football. He played at Texas A&M. Like he was one of the most electrifying entertaining quarterbacks that you'll ever watch play college football. And he had this symbol that he would do, uh, this celebration every time he, he threw a touchdown or ran a touchdown or made a big first down. He would put his hands in the air and he would rub his fingers together like money, like, you know, pay me money, cash money. And everybody loved it. Like he was this brash, egotistical, kind of prideful guy, talked a lot of trash, partied hard. Um, and... You, you, you like either loved him or you hated him. But he was a guest this week on Shannon Sharp's podcast. And as I was listening to him talk about his life, he talked about how hard he partied in college and how hard he partied in the NFL and how he was addicted to drugs, how he was addicted to gambling, how he was addicted to alcohol and how this stole from his life and from his relationships. And then he started doing this particular thing they reminded me of what Peter was doing with these people. He started going down a list of people that he hurt. And he started naming names. And he started naming situations. This young guy that that, that played professional football, and he's like, man, I hurt this person. I took advantage of this person. This person was trying to be kind to me, was trying to help me. I I don't even know if Johnny Manziel is a believer or not. But I'm watching this podcast and I'm like, man, this is a lesson for believers and for people who are trying to find Jesus. Like as a a pastor, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years now. And whenever somebody comes to my office or I'm sitting in somebody's office, like you can feel the power of the Holy Spirit when somebody is about to repent. And you know when it's real or not. Like, you know when somebody's really sorry or not. Like, you can feel the power of God. You feel like as a pastor, it is one of the most honored places that I will ever sit is with a person who's being vulnerable and honest and detailed in their repentance. It's like somebody comes in and you can just feel through the hush of their voice through the palpable presence of the Holy Spirit when somebody comes in your office and they sit down and it's like, really messed up and here's what I did and here are the people that are hurt and these are the layers of the implications of that and I and when I'm in those moments I'm, I'm never I mean and people have confessed some of the craziest stuff you will ever hear to me to other pastors to other people in your small group and when somebody confesses like that I'm not hearing that stuff like wow you 
dirty fool. What were you doing? Like my heart melts. And it's like, I want to be close to this person. This person literally just opened up their heart and they are, they are hurting, they're confused, they're sorry, they are turning away. And what does that do within the kingdom of God? What does that do in relationships? What does that do with our relationship with God? It brings us closer. That's what our relationships with God and with each other are built on. Honesty, vulnerability, repentance. Peter goes through and lists off like really clearly He says, you handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. He's naming names. He he, he says, though, you know, he says, Pilate was going to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Peter's like, you twisted up the whole thing. You, You gave over the author of life to death so that you could get a murderer free He's like, your hearts and your minds are twisted up. And he, he's saying things very detailed. And when somebody is in true repentance, that's what it sounds like. It's like, man, the things that I was doing, I had life backwards. I was calling the wrong things right and I was calling the right things wrong. I was blind. I hurt people. And I want to turn away from what I was doing. That is the beauty and the power of repentance. If you ever have the honor to be in relationship with somebody who comes to you like that, you are literally standing on holy ground. Like if you're wondering like, where is God? God is right there. That's where God loves to be. And that's our opportunity today. Our opportunity to realize that like God is at work in ways that we may not see. Like some of us today need to repent of being too familiar with God. That's basically what Jeremiah was talking about. Like you already know where he is. You're not asking where he is anymore. You're not asking where he's moving. You're just kind of following along, walking along. And God's like, I want your hunger. I want your curiosity. Some of you all are doing things in the dark that nobody knows you're doing. And the most beautiful thing that you can do with things that are in the dark, bring them in the light so that God can bring times of refreshing. Listen to what it says in, in verse 19. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. He doesn't say repent and turn to God so that you can look like an idiot and a pastor can look better than you or every other Christian that comes to church you know, can look at you and laugh every time you come to church. That's not what he's saying. He says, repent then and turn so that your sins may be wiped out. It goes on to say that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He says, when God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Repentance and the ability to turn towards God is available to every single one of us today, that we we may be renewed, refreshed, restarted in the name of Jesus. When you are a person in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, who's honest with people, who speaks into people's lives 
in a powerful way like Peter, you will feel the pressure and resistance of the enemy of our world and of people around you. But it literally saves people's lives from death, spiritual death and sometimes even physical death. So my encouragement to you is to number one, no matter where you're at, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you're wondering about becoming a Christian today, that today would be a day of repentance, of turning towards God and away from our sin. And that we would also be a people who like Jeremiah, like Peter, would hold ourselves to a different standard, that we would stop trying to run with men and stop trying to fit in and stop trying to be liked and that we will run with horses and that we will be a people that stop worshiping comfort and stop worshiping our way of life and stop worshiping that flat ground, that easy ground, and that we will be a people that would be willing to run through the thickets and run through the weeds and run through the hard places. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and you are the king. And God, I pray that you would literally change lives today. I pray that you would increase our hunger for you, our thirst for you, our desire for you, that we may be new people today, stronger in you, Jesus. We love you and it's in your name we pray, amen.